What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Dave, and welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. Uh, We've got a great episode lined up for you today. I'm going to let Mike go ahead and tell you what we've got planned for this episode. What's up, everyone? This is Mike. Today, we're going to talk about Julio Jones and Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about the regular season awards from this NBA season. We're going to go into That's Disrespectful, where I've got a lot to say this week. And we're going to put someone on the hot seat. For sure. So we're going to start off by taking advantage of something that happened recently, and that was us being right on this podcast. Uh, We can't guarantee that this will always happen. Uh, You know, just check last episode for more information on that one if you didn't catch it already. Uh, but yeah, we had recorded the episode, uh, on, I guess it was Wednesday. Um, and then Julio Jones actually ended up getting traded on the Sunday after we had recorded. So we were going back and forth and figuring out where we thought Julio would be traded to different trade possibilities, uh, who he fit best with, et cetera, et cetera. And lo and behold, we ended up choosing the Tennessee Titans as his ideal landing spot. And as you probably know by now, Julio did end up getting traded to the Titans. So, you know, a little pat on the back for us here at the Mike and Dave podcast. On the last episode, we did spend plenty of time talking about all the ways in which we were wrong previously. So we'll go both directions with that. If we're wrong, we'll be up front and admit it. But if we're right, we'll take that opportunity to toot our own horn. And not only were we right about the team that he would go to, Dave, you basically got the trade, like in terms of the pick situation, like what what we'd end up being compensated, so on and so forth. I mean, yeah, I did. But, you know, we'll, we'll move past that and just say it once again, um, Julio will miss you. We appreciate you. And I think, obviously, as we said before, Tennessee was a great spot. And I think he he'll be able to thrive in that offense. And I know he's excited to be there and they're excited to have him. So... Well done to Julio. And A.J. Brown gets to play with his idol. Interesting thing about the jersey number that came out. So A.J. Brown offered number 11 to Julio. Julio said he's not going to take it. So A.J. Brown can keep number 11. Julio has decided on number two. And when they asked him about it, this like weird math explanation came up from Julio. It was like the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. Where he was like, uh... Well, 11 is 1 and 1, and 1 plus 1 is 2. Also, Derrick Henry is 22, 2, 2, and 11 times 2 is 22, and they got to worry about all three of us. I was like, okay, Julio. You could just say I like the number 2, and we'd move on past it. But I'm glad you're happy. You know, whatever makes him happy, right? Um, But that is an interesting development that the NFL's made where they've kind of loosened their restrictions on the jersey numbers i always found it to be a little confusing as to why you couldn't just pick whatever jersey number you wanted i mean it kind of makes sense for like figuring out who is who etc but at the end of the day it's just the number on your back so it's just another way for players to express themselves i guess but anyway moving on past julio we thought it would be interesting to talk about another potential trade that could happen and we're talking about none other than the reigning mvp Aaron Rodgers. Now, this has been covered 
extensively in the media over the past, I feel like it's been years now, uh, where he's been less than content, I'll say, with the Packers organization, and rightfully so. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers being one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league, he kind of has a little bit more sway, a little more pull than uh, somebody who's either just an average or league average quarterback or somebody just coming in the league. And yet the Packers never really seemed to take his opinions into consideration, at least from what we can tell. Uh, They've released players that he expressly said that he wanted to be kept on the team. Uh, Jake Kumaro, kind of a, you know, fifth receiver type for them being the most recent example. It's kind of interesting to to think about the Packers organization. Let's just start there. There, It's been well documented that the Packers have had, I think, no first round picks on offense for like, I don't even know how many years, like 10 years or something. And then when they actually pick somebody on offense, it's a quarterback as their eventual replacement to Aaron Rodgers instead of actually giving Aaron Rodgers receivers or offensive linemen or whoever uh, to help him out. So it's kind of interesting that how the Packers have, have been run. Um, and considering they have this amazing quarterback, it almost seems like they're just relying on Aaron Rodgers to be him, be Superman, and just kind of focus on him being the offense and then focus on other areas with their draft picks so kind of an interesting strategy by them so first of all i'm gonna you said that aaron Rodgers is one of the top quarterbacks in the nfl i'll do you one better he's one of the top quarterbacks to ever touch a football and this is someone that has been in green bay since like 2005 i think so he has put the franchise on his back since he became a starter he has a super bowl and not only did they spend like the one time they spend a first rounder on an offensive player, they traded up to get Jordan Love. So they were really prioritizing a quarterback the summer after they had just gone like 13 and three the first time. And like you said, they're just counting on Aaron Rodgers to overcome all these deficiencies, which is what you want your superstar to do. You want your superstar to take you to the promised land like when the odds are against you but that doesn't mean you have to stack the odds against your player yourself. And reports had come out that he had tried to talk to the GM and to the coach and everything, but they basically told him to get out of the office to just like keep his priorities on the field that they weren't going to listen to him. And so he's felt this, he already felt disrespected and that was just another straw added to that. And it amazes me because Aaron Rodgers is getting paid 20% of the Packers overall salary. When you have a player that you're paying that much, you should take his thoughts at least into consideration. It doesn't mean you let him just unilaterally make every decision for you. But if he says like, Hey, this is, I think this receiver is good and he's not costing it that costing us that much money. Let's keep him around. You kind of take that into consideration. It baffles me that the Packers aren't doing that. We just saw Tom Brady leave New England where he was successful for 20 years because he felt, albeit in a different way, disrespected and underappreciated. And he went somewhere else, even though people never thought he would go anywhere else. And he immediately won a Super Bowl somewhere else. 
if I were in the Packers front office, I would have used that as like a yellow flag. Like, so there is now a precedent for a franchise quarterback with decades of success to go somewhere else and win, even when people don't think he will. We have this quarterback that's been upset for a while. Let's maybe try to make him happy. And they just didn't do it. Well, and not even just Tom Brady. Peyton Manning did the exact same thing. He was on the Colts forever. People thought he was going to be a Colt for life. He ends up going to the Broncos, and what do they do? They end up, I mean, it's not like Peyton Manning was the reason why they won, but they still ended up winning a Super Bowl with him there. Like you said, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks to ever play, just like Peyton Manning, just like Tom Brady, although I would rank the, those guys above Rodgers. But yeah, it's just it's just so weird to, like this whole situation, just there's something that seems off. Um, Aaron Rodgers is 38, which was older than I expected him to be. I feel like he's been 35 for like so long now, right? But he's still performing at a very high level. He has had some injury concerns uh, over the past few years, but typically speaking, like when he's on the field, he's impeccable. He's under contract for the next three years with the Packers. There's been potential talk that he could maybe move to a different team. Potentially, he could just retire. Uh, He could just continue to show up and be the Packers quarterback next season. And right now, it's anyone's guess as to what would actually happen. But let's just say uh, that Aaron Rodgers gets traded. We saw Matthew Stafford get traded recently. And that involved multiple first-round picks. And that was for Matthew Stafford. When you're talking about a guy like Aaron Rodgers, surely it's going to be more that you're going to have to give up. So there aren't a ton of teams that I think would be willing to give up or even have that draft capital. If you're trading multiple, like let's say three first round picks for Aaron Rodgers, you are trying to win, not next season, not the season after that, this season. It is an all or nothing swing. And that's a big risk. I would say probably 25 I would have to figure out who wouldn't but maybe 25 26 27 of the 32 teams in the NFL could use Aaron Rodgers as an upgrade or would would he would start right away and how many of those teams actually have the draft capital and the willingness to make a move like that in order to win a Super Bowl I don't know so Mike if you had to pick one team who would you pick to trade for Aaron Rodgers, who would have that draft capital and also might have that desire and feel like they have the the team to where if they added Aaron Rodgers, they could immediately be a contender. I'm looking at the Denver Broncos. You have an opportunity to bring in a quarterback that literally just won MVP. So when we get to talking about trading first rounders, I mentioned this a little bit on the last episode, but when you trade a pick for a player, you're essentially trading a gamble, like hoping that that draft pick works out to be a good player for a proven player. And so like if you can get a proven player like Aaron Rodgers, one of the best to ever do it, to me that's worth a couple first rounders. And Denver has 
possession of all of their picks for the next three years. So they have the draft capital to do it, first of all. And I wouldn't bat an eye if I were a Broncos fan if if we traded all three first-round picks that we have in the next three drafts for Aaron Rodgers. I don't know that he'll command that. And that has nothing to do with his skill. Like what you said about Matthew Stafford like translates to me. Like, yeah, if this is what Stafford is worth, then Aaron Rodgers has to be worth more than Stafford. The only issue is whenever you have a disgruntled player, their trade value goes down because the team trading for him gets to go, okay, yeah, but how in in how much of a position are you to make more and more demands when it's common knowledge that this guy doesn't want to be on your team? With that being said, like Denver is in a good position to barter with Green Bay. And if they do get Aaron Rodgers, I think that that puts them in a great position to succeed. They have a defense. They'd be replacing Drew Locke with Aaron Rodgers. It's a bit of an upgrade. They have good coaching there. I'm not going to say like amazing coaching, but they have decent coaching there. But one of the big things I'm looking at here is Denver is the team that got Peyton Manning, like you said earlier. They've seen firsthand that this can work, where we take this old yet legendary quarterback, plug him into a team with a good supporting cast and a great defense, and let him operate. And in a year or two, we have a Super Bowl. So they've done it before. I would not be surprised to see them do it again. For sure. I think the Broncos are a a solid pick. I think the Broncos' defense isn't quite what it used to be. Um, but just think about all the weapons they would have on offense. That would be a pretty tough, especially as, you know, guys like Cortland Sutton recovers from his injury. He was balling out before he got injured. Jerry Judy coming into his second year in the league. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the Broncos would be an interesting landing spot for me when I'm thinking about a team. And this scares me. When I thought about this, like this scares me. The New Orleans Saints. Uh, moment of silence for all Falcons fans listening to this. And I, I, I'm not enjoying this. I'm just saying this as just pure analyzing, right? Saints just saw Drew Brees retire. They have a top five receiver, top five running back, probably a top five offensive line as well. Then you look at their defense. They've got a bunch of star players on that defense as well. And as much as I don't like Sean Payton, they're well coached. And really the only thing that's been holding them back has been the play of Drew Brees and the fact that he just couldn't really push the ball down the field anymore. Now they're they're working with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston moving forward. Imagine if you would put Aaron Rodgers into that offense instead of Jameis Winston slash Taysom Hill. And like, let's say the Saints just say, screw it, we'll give you the ne- our next three first round picks or whatever, or like our next two firsts and then a couple of seconds or whatever the case might be. We're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers. We're going to expect to win the Super Bowl, maybe multiple Super Bowls with him uh, as he continues to age. But again, he's still a very, very productive quarterback. He won MVP last year. It scares me. I don't love it as a Falcons fan, but from a pure 
analytical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. So I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that one, Mike? I think it fits really, really well. Uh, the NFC South would then have two legitimate championship contenders in the Saints and the Bucks. I mean, to be fair, we had that last year, but even more so the Saints because Drew Brees couldn't throw the football farther than 20 yards. He just couldn't. Aaron Rodgers does not have that issue, like you said. It's scary as a Falcons fan, but at the same time, I don't know really how high my expectations are for the Falcons anyway this year. So so it's like, eh, whatever. Well, for me, it's like, I still I still want the Saints to not win the championship. My By far my least favorite team in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So the Saints, the Broncos, do we think that Aaron Rodgers feels good enough about where he's at to retire and then maybe eventually come back and join a different team. (laughs) I mean, he was the, he was the um, replacement for Brett Favre. We saw what Brett Favre did. He retired and then came back. Like maybe Aaron Rodgers just follows in his footsteps once again. Maybe Aaron Rodgers will go to the Vikings to replace Kirk Cousins. (laughs) Oh my gosh. To be fair, Justin Jefferson is looking like a baller. You still have Adam Thielen. Adam Thielen. And my guy, Dalvin Cook, my man, is there as well. Offensive line's getting better. They they drafted some to help with that. And then Vikings defense, not quite what it used to be. Uh, but again, if, if Daniil Hunter is healthy, that changes that a lot. So I will say, just since we've gone down this road, it's very rare that the teams want to trade a very good player within the conference, let alone their division. Right. So it's, it's pretty unlikely that the Packers will trade to the Vikings, but well, yeah. And again, this would be like a retire and then come back and join the Vikings type of situation. Yeah. I mean, if we think about major high profile trades, like Hopkins, that was from the AFC to the NFC. We, Julio NFC to AFC. Um, I guess Stafford is the only one, and even him, like that's just kind of it's only high profile because he's a quarterback. I think um, that was NFC to NFC, but again, like the Lions. I mean, it's it's the Lions, right? They don't they just don't really care to be honest. So, um, so yeah, so I don't know. Well, Aaron Rodgers again, he's one of those guys who's been a face of the league, obviously the face of the Packers, but a face of the league for 15 years or so. Um, I mean, 2011 is when they had, when they won that Super Bowl. And so I guess at the last 10 years specifically, he's been that guy. And it would be weird to see him in a different uniform. Not necessarily unwelcome. Um, but yeah, will he pull a Tom Brady? Will he pull a Peyton Manning? We'll have to wait and see. The Packers, for what it's worth, have not have said continuously, we will not trade him. We we saw the Falcons say, well, we're listening to offers, right? So there obviously there's smoke screens and they're they're gonna say whatever they're gonna say, right? To try to drive the value up. But everyone knows that Rogers is not content with the situation there. And 
The fact is, he's still under contract. So unless they're going to cut him, which I doubt they would ever do, then he might just end up being stuck there for a few more seasons unless he decides to do something drastic like retire or if the Packers do manage to find a suitor like the Broncos or the Saints that would have the draft capital that they would want in return. And if they don't move him and he doesn't retire, then yes, you still have Aaron Rodgers on your team. But is it the same Aaron Rodgers? We don't know how he's going to play in the face of all this if he stays in Green Bay. If it's a situation where he doesn't want to be there and his teammates know he doesn't want to be there, then it's hard to build that camaraderie. It's hard for him to like galvanize the troops and lead them into battle if they don't believe that he even wants to be there. It's also rough on the culture when you're bringing in young players, especially Jordan Love, for that matter. And they have to look up to a player that's going, to heck with this place. I don't want to be here. Maybe you shouldn't want to be here either. At what point does this relationship between Rodgers and the Packers become so toxic coming from Rodgers that the Packers can't even afford to have him there? At that point, you'd basically be not trading him just to give yourself the satisfaction like, okay, well, we didn't buckle and trade him. It might actually be in their best interest to do so. I mean, who am I to say how he's going to perform in the face of all of this? It's just something to keep an eye out for. Yeah, and Devontae Adams has come out and said that he has Aaron Rodgers back. Um, obviously, like the partnership between them has been arguably the best in the NFL over the past three seasons or so. Uh, they've made magic happen together, especially with there not really being too many other threats, at least receiver or tight end wise on the team. Uh, so that makes sense. But yeah, again, like those doubts do come into play of, is he, do we know who the quarterback's going to be? If Aaron's not here, does it, that pretty much means that we're not contenders anymore, you know? So that can be a difficult thing for, a locker room and also for the front office to try to juggle. So let us know your thoughts. Where do you think Aaron Rodgers will go? Um, what do you think? Like, do you agree with our two selections of potential trade partners? Yeah. So just kind of just let us know what your thoughts are. And we'll go into the next segment where we're going to break down who won the NBA awards and our thoughts on that. So we'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. So now we're going to recap the 2021 NBA awards. And at the time we're recording this, the only award that hasn't actually been announced is the Rookie of the Year Award. So we're going to do predictions for who we think will win that one. And then we'll break down the rest of the awards um, and give our thoughts on those uh, really quickly because there are a lot to get through. So Mike, what are your thoughts on the Rookie of the Year Award and who should win it? To me, this is... A no-brainer, but a tough no-brainer, which sounds contradictory. But I have Anthony Edwards as the Rookie of the Year, and he was the number one pick. And it's it's not that common that the number one pick wins Rookie of the Year, actually. If LaMelo Ball had not gotten hurt, then I would have had him. I feel like he was the better rookie when he was on the court. Anthony Edwards scores more by about four points a game, but like Anthony Edwards averages 19 points a game to LaMelo's like 15.7 or so, but LaMelo rebounds better. He 
certainly distributes the ball better. He just seems like a better all-around player at this point. But Anthony Edwards did not miss a game. He played all 72 games of the season. LaMelo was only able to play 51. And the best ability is availability. So do I think Anthony Edwards is better? No, but when we're talking about this single-season award, I would give it to him. Yeah, I don't have to agree with that one as well. I think LaMelo and Anthony Edwards both had really standout moments. Uh, LaMelo got that triple-double. I believe he was the youngest player ever to get a a triple-double, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Anthony Edwards had arguably the dunk of the year. They they both had really standout moments, and I think they both definitely have potentials to be all-stars, maybe all-NBA. We'll have to see. But yeah, I, I think Edwards mostly because of his, like you said, his availability and the fact that the second half of the season, especially he really turned it on and showed exactly what he was capable of. First half was pretty poor, but he really turned it on at the end. And of course, everyone does have recency bias and they'll remember Anthony Edwards playing a lot better and LaMelo not actually being on the court. So I think it will be Edwards Uh, long-term. I think it's really a toss up on who will be better, but since this is, Since this is the Rookie of the Year award, uh, I've got to give it to Anthony Edwards as well. I agree. And, you know, looking at next year, LaMelo Ball will come off that injury. And he's a great player that the Hornets have picked up. And I think one thing also that separates them is, you know, playing the point guard position, his ability to, like, step into that leadership role. And he was already doing that as a rookie, whereas with Anthony Edwards, it's going to be hard to expect him to take that leadership role on the court especially in Minnesota, first of all. But I never thought I'd say this going into last year's draft, but LaMelo just looks like the better, like the winner from that draft. But moving into the next award, we've got the most improved. This one, I think we saw coming from a mile away. Julius Randle from the Knicks. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's he is deserving. He averaged 24 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists. So obviously, really great numbers across the board there. And, you know, it was his first time being an all-star as well. And, I don't know. The Knicks really needed someone to step up. And Randall was a guy who had been okay throughout his career up to this point. But definitely not a star. More just like a just an average maybe slightly above average post player, but he really worked on his game and given the usage and how the Knicks did end up deploying him, he ended up being a major threat. Um, He improved his three point percentage drastically this year. And we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast as well. He was left wide open for a lot of his threes, but he still made them and just his physical presence underneath the basket his ability to get other teammates involved as well. Um, And then, of course, his contributions on the glass too. I think he's a deserving winner. Uh, Obviously, the playoffs, he he looked like a completely different player when facing playoff defense. I think the Hawks did a really good job on him as well. But this is a regular season award, so I think Julius Randle does deserve it. And we'll, we'll just have to see next year how defenses come at him differently can the Knicks provide any more support for him on the offensive end as well? Because let's be honest, the Knicks don't really have that many other good players. So, uh, 
But yeah, I think Julius Randle is a deserving winner. And we did talk about the Knicks a few episodes ago. And credit to them for all the improvements that they made. They had a great season, like great turnaround season for them. Looking at another candidate for this award, Michael Porter Jr., this is another example, like with the Rookie of the Year, where I would have rather had Michael Porter like going forward. I don't think that he should have won the award by any means. I think Julius Randle deserved the award for the regular season. But if I'm looking into next year and and beyond that, I think what I saw from Michael Porter makes me feel like he's going to be better going forward. But for the regular season, yeah, I agree. Julius Randle deserved it. Now, sticking with the Knicks, Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau ended up winning Coach of the Year as a result of like you know leading the Knicks to that turnaround season we were talking about. This is one that I can't really get on board with. I think this is a case of everyone was excited about what Julius Randle was doing. Everyone was excited that the Knicks were relevant in basketball again. We've talked about this before. And frankly, everyone recognizes the name Tom Thibodeau because he's been coaching for a long time and he's had successful teams. Uh, He's a great coach for the Bulls in the past. And so I think it was easy for a lot of people and a lot of voters to go, oh yeah, Tibbs, he brought the Knicks back. Like this is a, these are a lot of big deals happening at once. And so someone that we've talked about before as being like one of the more underappreciated figures in basketball, Quinn Snyder, who led the jazz to the league's best record does not end up winning coach of the year. And to me, that's my first snub so far. Yeah. And this is Thibodeau's, like you said, the name recognition and everything. This is his second award. He won it in 2010-2011 while coaching the Bulls. Um, Quinn Snyder actually wasn't even second. Um, It was actually ended up being a really close vote between Thibodeau and Monty Williams for the Phoenix Suns. Thibodeau only edged him out 351 points, 340 points. So it was very close. I would not have been upset with Monty Williams winning this award, especially as we've seen that the Suns have been pretty diabolical for the past several years. You know, obviously they they brought Chris Paul in, but also, you know, they've drafted well and Monty Williams has kind of been that guy to really kind of create their their offensive system with their spread pick and roll offense that they employ. And it's been super effective and they've really, I think, done a good job with using their depth as well as um, you know, leaning on Devin Booker and Chris Paul um to lead that team as well. So I think Monty Williams definitely deserves a shout. Obviously, Quinn Snyder, Mike, you you talked about him. The Jazz had the best record in the NBA. And it, it's almost like the coaches who do well every year never actually get awarded, but the the coach that comes out of nowhere is is the one that wins it. It's just kind of an interesting, it's kind of like MVP as well. Um but yeah, I, I think Thibodeau. Deserves some some credit and some mention, but I would have gone with Williams or Quinn Snyder over him, for sure. Definitely shout out to Monty Williams, and I think a lot of the Suns' success does rest on the leadership that Chris Paul Paul has brought into it. And not just Chris Paul in and of himself, but the, the pairing of him and Monty Williams. Of course, they were together in New Orleans years ago, and so now they're like reunited, and they're doing big things and making me look like an absolute idiot 
for saying they'd get swept in the first round. Ah, uh, yes. But that's neither here nor there. I remember that. <laughs> and now they've swept the Nuggets. So, you know, just pile it on. Right. Well, and <clears throat> going back to Quinn Snyder, uh, being able to, you know, obviously like being a good coach for several seasons now uh, and the Jazz being competitive, um, sticking with the Jazz, sixth man of the year award was announced and Jordan Clarkson ended up winning it. Now, Jordan Clarkson was a guy whose career has been pretty mixed results up to this point. Um, obviously, it was with the Cavs for a while and just never really got going. I would say like just kind of an inefficient come off the bench or start scorer, um, not really getting his teammates involved or anything, but ended up averaging 18 and a half points a game with four rebounds and 2.5 assists. He only started one game uh, this year. And yeah, I think he he was a very big piece of that jazz team who had the highest record in the NBA, like we said before. Um, and then when Donovan Mitchell went out uh, towards the end of the season, Clarkson really had to step up and obviously wasn't Donovan Mitchell, but he did a good job of kind of holding it down um, and playing a lot of minutes for the jazz as Mitchell was working to recover from his injury in, in return. Um, interestingly enough, the guy who came in second place, the only one who was even close to Clarkson in the voting, was also another Utah Jazz player, Joe Ingles. So definitely want to give a shout out to him as well. I think Clarkson was deserving, but just the fact that the Jazz had two guys who were by far and away the top two vote getters for six man of the year just speaks to their depth and also the coaching as well of being able to use those guys off the bench um, as well as having them in later in the game as well. I think that's one thing that makes the Jazz really likable is they have a bunch of like players that get in and they do their jobs even if they're not necessarily superstars. And it's not like it doesn't give the feel that they've built this super team. Rather, they've like made the right moves. They've drafted well. They've tra- uh, made good trades. But then, like you said, it's the coaching. It's It's Quinn Snyder. It's the scheme that he's set up. It's players buying into it. Enough that, like you said, we got two players leading the votes for six man. It's like it's like the Clippers all over again when they had Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams competing with each other for six man of the year, which is interesting because you know typically we don't see stuff like that happen, but now we've seen it back to back years where that's been the case. But yeah, they're huge contributors to make the Jazz this like powerhouse that they've become. In addition. We also have Rudy Gobert, right? The Stifle Tower, winning Defensive Player of the Year. I like Rudy Gobert. I think it really comes down to what do you value when it comes to Defensive Player of the Year. And I know rebounding is like way up there. When I think of Defensive Player of the Year, in my mind, I look at like who's going to guard all five positions. And so for that reason, I might look to players like Ben Simmons or Bam Adebayo. But that's not to take away from Rudy Gobert. And we... Just in their last game, we saw him step out to the three-point line to contest three-point shots, and that played a huge role in their winning their last game against Clippers. But all of that to say, I like Rudy Gobert as Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's a dominant presence down low, even if he's not the most versatile defender. 
Yeah, for sure. And this is Gobert's third Defensive Player of the Year award. Also won in 2017-18 and 2018-19. He's only the fourth player to win the award at least three times, joining Dikembe Mutombo, Ben Wallace, and Dwight Howard. It's crazy that like, we see Dwight Howard now, and I forget like how good of a defender he, he used to be back in the day. Um, but either way, yeah, I think Gobert definitely deserving in in my mind, um, because the Jazz's defense is completely based around him. Opponents, whenever they play the Jazz, they know that he's there waiting in the paint, and so they have to be perimeter-oriented, and that allows uh, their wing defenders to stay on shooters, so not having to help nearly as much because they know Gobert's got the paint, and he's just such an intimidating presence down low that it just it helps him not allow nearly as many open three-pointers. Their defensive rotations don't have to be quite as frequent because they can mostly play one-on-one with Gobert in the middle. So obviously a, a great defensive player. A lot has already been said about that. Um, so congratulations to Gobert. And just for the voting, Ben Simmons did end up coming in second. And again, shout out to him as a guy who, like I said um, a couple episodes ago in our playoffs predictions, Ben Simmons was one of my X-Factors. And like I said, he, he's a guy who can guard all five positions and can really make a, uh, an impact on the defensive end, uh, both at the rim and on the perimeter. And just since we're talking about defense and the Jazz, just a quick shout out to Royce O'Neal, who has really made a huge step up in terms of being a perimeter defender this season. Like he has emerged as one of, like, I'm not going to put a number to it necessarily, but one of the league's better perimeter defenders. Certainly that's strengthened by, like you said, having Gobert down low and the Jazz is just overall defensive scheme. Like he's thrived in that, but he's also like taking great strides and obviously put in the work to become a great perimeter defender. So just want to give a shout out there. We're not going to see him on the defensive team this year, but we do want to talk about the players that did get named to the defensive teams this year. So starting with the second defensive second team. We've got Joel Embiid, Bam Adebayo, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, and Matisse Thibel. Yeah, and interesting, like, the first thing that stands out to me is we've got two Sixers on there, Joel Embiid and Matisse Thibel. And spoiler alert, Ben Simmons made the first all-defensive team. So you got three 76ers in the top 10 defensive players, or at least according to this. So that's pretty that's pretty impressive for a team to have three of the top 10 guys. Um, I'm really glad that Matisse Thibel made the list um, as a guy who doesn't necessarily contribute a ton on the offensive end, but defensively, he almost comes off the bench as like a anti-Jordan Clarkson. Like if you, if you would have a defensive sixth man of the year, it would be Matisse Thibel, right? It's just kind of interesting how that works out, but... But yeah, I think Kawhi is an interesting inclusion on this list. Obviously, when he's really trying, he he's, a, he's still an amazing perimeter defender. He just doesn't really do a lot of the one-on-one, let me guard the other team's best player nearly as much as he used to, now that he's kind of developed into more of this superstar offensive weapon. I feel like his defense has kind of taken a back seat. It's almost more like name recognition and the fact that he can play really good defense. 
I'm not going to say that he shouldn't necessarily be included, but I think it's just kind of one of those, like, you just throw him on the all-defensive second team because it's Kawhi. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I do want to talk a little bit more about Matisse Thibel. This was a player that you and I both really wanted the Hawks to draft coming into the draft. And now we've seen him develop into a stud defensive player in just like his second year. There was a stat that came up during one of his playoff games. And I'm not going to try to remember exactly what it was. Cause it was one of those, you know, like super wordy, like ultra specific stats, but it was in one of those games where he had like four steals and five blocks and like, a certain amount of minutes and it was like the most based on that short amount of minutes. Anyway, their point being was he came off the bench and was a defensive savage who he, who he's really reminding me of this early in his career is Tony Allen, who you might remember from that grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies team. Tony Allen is actually one of the best perimeter defenders, if not the best perimeter defender that I've ever watched. So for me to say that Matisse Thibel is reminding me of him is definitely high praise coming from me. You can mark it from me. I'm going to go ahead and make my bold prediction right now. In three years' time, Matisse Thibel will be the best defender in basketball. He might not win Defensive Player of the Year every year because we often reserve that for bigs, right? Uh, Because they're pulling down rebounds, they're protecting the paint. But looking at perimeter defenders, Matisse Thibel will be the guy. Definitely high praise from Mike there for Matisse Thibel. We'll see if that comes true. Now moving into the all-defensive first team, we've got Rudy Gobert, Giannis, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, and Ben Simmons. So, like I said, we already talked about Ben Simmons' defense and Rudy Gobert, of course. Uh, Giannis, really respect him because he's one of those guys who's one MVP and also one defensive player of the year and always shows up on these defensive player of the year selections as well. Um, and all defensive team, of course. So considering he's, you know, one of those top offensive guys, the fact that he's su- still such a good defender um, and such a great rim protector uh, just really shows how impactful he is on both ends of the court. And his teammate, Drew Holiday, who we've talked about previously on this podcast as well, they traded for him and that it's really paid off for him this season in the postseason as well. But trading for a guy and him making the all defensive first team, pretty good trade, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And with Drew Holiday, I like to pay a lot of attention when they interview players and ask them who they think, like when they say, who's the toughest player to guard or, you know, who's the toughest, who's, the best defender because they're the ones playing the games, right? So they're going to know more than anyone else, like who's providing that like staunch defense and everything. But Drew Holiday gets a ton of praise in those player interviews where a lot of players are like, I don't want to see Drew Holiday guarding me because he's always like making my life a nightmare. So even though players say that Drew Holiday doesn't tend to get that much national attention or anything so i'm really just happy to see him on the defensive first team but like you said i agree like with Giannis, when you have someone playing mvp caliber ball and like contrasting this to what we were talking about or what you're talking about with Kawhi, where you know now that he's taken on more of a superstar offensive role he's kind of 
taking his foot off the pedal when it comes to defense, Giannis doesn't cheat you at all with his effort. And so he belongs in that Jordan-esque category of players that are going to give it to you on both ends, night in and night out. And I just respect the hell out of that. Yeah, for sure. And this is his third consecutive NBA all-defensive first-team selection as well. So it's not just a one-year thing. He's consistently playing that great defense and then being a word for it come awards time as well. So now moving into the you know the crown jewel of all of the NBA awards, the NBA MVP, won by none other than Nikola Jokic from the Denver Nuggets. Um, and a center winning is a lot rarer than it used to be. It used to be that centers won it more, you know, a little more often. Nowadays, not quite so much as the game has kind of moved more towards perimeter players, point guards, wings, etc. But Jokic has had an amazing season and definitely the right choice for MVP. I love that Jokic won it. Um, Joel Embiid's name was floated a lot, but I was worried that that they were going to give it to him despite his like lack of games played. So we had a similar situation, I guess, with like what we had with the rookie of the year where LaMelo hadn't played enough games. But even had Embiid like played a similar amount of games, I was hoping that Jokic would still get it. Um, looking at past MVPs like and bigs that have won it, yes, Giannis is 6'11 or 7 foot. He doesn't feel like a big, even though he basically is power forward or center, right? But when I think of a big, I think of like outside of the perimeter pretty much. Um, whereas Giannis is often like starting there. He's the first like power forward or center to win it since Dirk in 2006, 2007. And the first center to win it since Shaq in 2000. So it has been a while. We had some Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan MVPs in the interim there. But... I love Jokic's game, and there really aren't many players in NBA history like him. We're talking about a floor general at the center position, one of the best passers that I've ever seen. Like when I think of the game's like great passers historically, of course you got like Pistol Pete, Magic Johnson, Steve Nash, Stockton, Stockton. Jokic is up there though, even going back to like Bob Cousy, but. Jokic is up there with the brilliant passers. And for a player as young as he is, his basketball IQ is off the charts. Like it's like he sees plays like five seconds in advance. And he's like always making these no look passes or just intelligent passes before the player even looks open. And he is like the heart and soul of that offense, especially as we've seen with Jamal Murray being hurt the Denver Nuggets offense runs entirely through him. And it's really cool to just see like such a different player win MVP. For sure. And just some interesting stats for Jokic this season. Um, He led the NBA in double doubles with 60, which for a center, you would probably understand, right? It It would make sense. But he was also second in triple doubles with 16 behind only Russell Westbrook, who we already know about him, right? Um, Interestingly enough, he's also the third player in NBA history to average at least 26 points, 10 rebounds, and 8 assists, joining Oscar Robertson and Russell Westbrook, two more point guards. 
So again, kind of that point center and almost showing like what the big of the future could look like. Because Jokic can still score in the paint. Like he's got a ton of different moves that he uses. He can still obviously crash the, the boards as well. But he can step up to the three-point line and and make a three. And like you said, amazing passer and the biggest reason why the Nuggets made it to where they did. Um, obviously, end up getting swept by the Suns in the playoffs, but still a pretty good season overall for the Nuggets. And they did it without Jamal Murray for a big part of it too. So uh, congratulations to Jokic. And I should also mention... He's the first second round pick ever to win MVP. And the only other player who technically was undrafted was Moses Malone. And that's just because he was in the ABA and then he came over to the NBA. So before that, the lowest drafted players to win MVP was 15th overall, which was Giannis and Steve Nash. So from 15th all the way to 41st, <laughs> that's a pretty good draft selection if you ask me by the Nuggets. Um, so yeah, so congratulations to Jokic. Absolutely, and that shows that the draft is not over with the f- with the first round. Like once you get past thirty, there are still gems out there. Um, if your team is patient enough to develop these players, if you have the right culture and coaching staff around you, and you, and the player himself has the right like mentality to like go after it, there's no reason second round picks as we're seeing now can't be the MVP. So, so much respect to Jokic there. Um, we just want to talk about the all NBA teams. So the all NBA third team for this year, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, Bradley Beal, Rudy Gobert, and Kyrie Irving. There are a lot of different players who could have made the third team this year. Um, I was a little surprised that Paul George made it and Kyrie. Um, Beal had a really good offensive season Jimmy Butler with his two-way performance, although it definitely wasn't his best season. And then Gobert, we've already talked about. Um, I thought Trey Young potentially could have been a guy to make the All-NBA third team. I'm kind of surprised that Harden wasn't on there and that Kyrie was over was on there ahead of him. But otherwise, I think deserving candidates. I was a little surprised that Jason Tatum's name didn't pop up, but not so much so that I'm going to call him a snub by any means. I- I'm more or less good with this list. Uh, looking at the second team, we've got Damian Lillard, Joel Embiid, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Julius Randle. I this makes me feel bad for Lillard, as always, because Lillard is a showstopper, uh, one of the better players we have in basketball, and it just sucks that he's out there in Portland <laughs> and never get the right kind of team around him. He's not in a huge market. And so he ends up on the all NBA second team instead of in like MVP discussion. It's a sad situation to me. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting and we'll get to the first team in a minute and why potentially he didn't make it, but yeah, he's definitely obviously had an amazing season has had strung together quite a few amazing seasons back to back. Shout out to Chris Paul again. I mean, Age 36, he's still getting it done. And in the playoffs, even now, he's really leading that team and making the Suns look really dangerous. And then, of course, LeBron. Of course, he's going to be there moving on. We talked about Julius Randle as well, most improved player, also making it onto the All-NBA second team. That's a really 
really solid season from him. And then Embiid, of course, we've talked about. So moving to the All-NBA first team, we've got Jokic at center, obviously one MVP. Then we've got Giannis, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, and Steph Curry. And I think Steph Curry had to be included in the first team. There's no way he couldn't be. Doncic, the same. He had an amazing year. Giannis, of course, he's got to make it. And then Jokic, of course, he's got to make it. I think the only one for me, and I feel like I kind of sound like a Kawhi hater on this podcast. I promise I'm not. Like He's obviously an amazing player, top 10 for sure in the league. But I may, I maybe would have moved Doncic to forward and then put Lillard in at, one, at the guard spot because they listed Doncic here as a guard, which technically... I would say he definitely plays point guard most of the time, but still, I would have done that just to get Lillard in there. But again, these are all amazing players. You can't really go wrong when you're talking about about these guys. Absolutely. It's just a tough situation for Lillard, and he's the second best point guard in basketball. It's just tough when number one is Steph, who's making highlights every single night in a bigger market on a typically more successful team. One thing I'll say about Doncic is we have Doncic on All-NBA all First Team. We have Trey Young on none of these. So that trade be, uh, begins to look a little lopsided in that respect. However, at least with the playoffs, Trey Young is not is making it look not so lopsided. Because Trey Young is really coming into his own in the playoffs. He's balling. He was doing it against the Knicks. He's doing it against the 76ers. Doncic has been eliminated. I'm not saying that makes Trey better. But all of a sudden, Trey has made me feel like we haven't taken a major, major L in that trade. I'm not saying that means we won, but I appreciate the work that Trey Young has done in the playoffs to make up ground in that trade. All right, so that wraps up our segment on the 2021 NBA Awards. Congratulations to everybody who won. Commiserations to those who fell a little bit short. Uh, When we come back, Mike's going to have a lot to say in the next segment. That's disrespectful. Welcome back, everybody. So now it's time for arguably my favorite segment, That's Disrespectful. And in this segment, Mike has... A couple of different things that he wants to talk about. A couple different people, organizations. I'll let him talk about it that he thinks are being very disrespected. And the first one of those is a poll that was put out by Bleacher Report on who is the greatest son of all time. Now, I'll just put a disclaimer out there that a lot of the people who use Bleacher Report are, well, they're an interesting crowd. I'll put it that way. So here are the the four options that Bleacher Report put out there and then the percentages of people that voted for them. So number one, obviously, it's got to be Steve Nash. He ended up getting 45% of the vote. Then Sir Charles himself, Charles Barkley, 33%. Then other, so people could put in the comments which person they thought, was 10%, which leaves one spot left, which... Bleacher Report decided to put Devin Booker as the fourth option. And if you've been counting the percentages, then you'll know the, the amount of people that have actually put Devin Booker as the greatest son of all time. 
Mike, do you have anything to say? 12% of people thought Devin Booker is the best son of all time. To quote Ice Cube, yo, I got something to say. That's disrespectful. Listen, 45% of people saying Steve Nash, that number needs to be higher. Charles Barkley is the only son that I can realistically see an argument for over Nash. I have Nash as the best son of all time. But, okay, maybe we bump up the 33% a little bit. How is Devin Booker getting more than other also? Because I'm thinking of like Kevin Johnson, Dan Marley, Paul Westfall, Alvin Adams. These people, the 12% are saying like there are more people that think Devin Booker is the best than there are of those other four players combined. That's disrespectful. Kevin Johnson is a better guard than Booker alone. And that's as recent as 87 to 98. Devin Booker has been there since 2015. This is his first season in the playoffs. And yeah, like he's doing well. But we talked about this last time. He needed Chris Paul to lead him into the playoffs anyway. Otherwise, he was leading his team to losing seasons every year. That's not GOAT behavior in in the spectrum of the Suns, right? You can't be the best son of all time and only take your team to losing seasons. Whereas Nash was taking his team to winning seasons every year, pretty much, until his injuries derailed him. Charles Barkley for four years in Phoenix. Winning seasons. Playoff contention. Or not playoff contention. Championship contention. Steve Nash, like three different times, took his team to the conference finals. I think two or three other times, the conference semis. Only lost in the first round like one time while he was there. Came back to Phoenix in 2004. Okay. The season before that, the Suns were 13th in the West. His first season there, they end up first in the West. Instant impact, and he wins MVP. The next year, still the top, like, I think they were second in the West the second year, and he won MVP again. How is that not the best son of all time? I can only imagine that the 12% of people that put Devin Booker are under the age of 15, or, and or, don't know basketball. You, you can't say that you have a firm understanding of basketball and its history and say Devin Booker is the best son of all time. That's not that's not the case. I'll reiterate what I said before. As a user of the Bleacher Report app myself, I will exclude myself and Michael and anyone that I know from this, but like the people who use the Bleacher Report app are definitely opinionated and oftentimes I think their opinions are wrong just straight up like I don't think there's any question that Steve Nash is the best son of all time what have you done for me lately you know it's always oh who's this next guy maybe they're maybe they're projecting Devin Booker and saying like once he's once he's done playing he will be the greatest son of all time but that's not how the question was phrased I will give him some credit he's played well in the playoffs so far better than we expected I'll say but yeah that is very disrespectful to all the other sons that came before him. It's got to be said. So that's just part one of this segment. Part two also has to do with this season's NBA playoffs. And this guy is kind of at the back end of his career instead of at the front end of his career. A polarizing player, some might say. A guy who's played for a few different franchises now. Landed on a contender. And uh, 
just so happens to be reinvigorated. Mike, who am I talking about? Blake Griffin went to the Nets after spending like two or three years in Detroit. I don't remember if it was two or three years because he was so forgettable, as is Detroit always. Detroit's been forgettable since they broke up the big five of Chauncey, Rashid, Rip, and the Wallaces, Ben and Rashid. But now Blake Griffin decides, like, okay, I'm feeling good. I'm on a championship contender. You know, put my all out here. He's dunking. Okay. Now, based on his play when he was on the Clippers, you'd say, well, Mike, what's what's the big deal? Yeah, he does this. He hadn't dunked for like two years in a game before coming to the Nets. In other words, he hadn't really dunked as a piston. The other day, he basically put Giannis on a poster. Giannis, not not like some second-year guard. We're talking about, you know, last year, the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year, who's like seven foot, that Giannis. You're telling me that all of a sudden you can dunk again when you hadn't dunked at all in Detroit. No exaggeration here. He had not dunked. I don't want to hear, oh, he's motivated. I want to hear some sirens. Some authorities need to be called because Blake Griffin should be arrested for robbery. He has stolen money from Detroit, and he owes them some money because they were paying him $20-plus a year to half-ass his job. That's disrespectful to an organization that wants to pay you. It's disrespectful to fans that want to come see you. It's disrespectful to a city that gets behind you. And it's disrespectful to the integrity of your career. It's disrespectful to the integrity of the NBA. Disrespectful all around. I know Blake likes to think of himself as a funny guy, but it turns out that he's the guy who's the joke after all. But yeah, Blake Griffin. Obviously him, Jordan, Chris Paul, Lob City. Super fun to watch. I would say that Blake Griffin's highlight reel has got to be up there, maybe top five of all time with some of the dunks that he pulled off in game. Uh, obviously a super fun guy to watch. He has traded to the Pistons. Obviously the Pistons have been a lackluster team. If anything, 7-8 seed at the max uh, for the past however long, right? I'm sorry. They traded for you so you could lead the team. Not just, well, I'm in Detroit and we kind of suck, so I'm not really going to try. Like, I understand that Blake Griffin did have some health issues, and there there may have been other stuff going on behind the scenes, right? But I think it's pretty obvious to anyone who is watching that Blake Griffin didn't really care, and now that he's the, what, fourth option, fifth option, maybe even later than that on a championship contending team now he decides uh i've just been saving my legs for the past four years or whatever for this moment like i'm sorry that's not the case um it's just kind of it's kind of sad and it again makes you question well we talk about teams tanking all the time what about players just kind of throwing it in we joke about load management right was Blake Griffin's entire career in Detroit just load management for his run with the Nets? Like, that's disrespectful. When you're a fan and you turn on the TV 
or worse, or better, depending on the situation, but for this case, worse, go to the game. Spend your hard-earned money on tickets to the arena to go and watch these athletes that we look up to perform. I can understand if you're like struggling, if you're if you're hurt. There's sympathy there. You know, some days you're not going to shoot the ball as well. Some days you're not going to be feeling it. Whatever. That's fine. But to tell me that the entire time, pretty much, that you're in Detroit, you don't care enough to perform and do what made you famous. That's dunking, right? What you were talking about with his with his highlights and his like career mixtape, which I agree, he has one of the best career mixtapes of any player ever because his dunks are so electric. When your like trademark is dunking and then you go to Detroit and you're basically saying like I don't care enough about this city or about this team to to dunk and to entertain people. That's that's a middle finger to Detroit. If it had been that he came to Brooklyn and he still wasn't dunking, but like maybe his scoring went up, it's like okay, whatever, that's fine. Like you're in a better environment, cool. But clearly you've been capable of doing this. For sure. So yeah, Blake Griffin, shame on you. And Bleacher Report and all those people who voted for Devin Booker, maybe start reading up on the history of the NBA before you start voting on a poll. Like, you have an opinion, but at least make it an educated one. So we're not quite done putting people on blast because coming up is the hot seat. All right, now we're going to get into one of our favorite segments, the hot seat, where, as always, we have someone in or around the sports world doing something stupid. So Dave, what do we got this week? We've got a very interesting candidate for this week's hot seat. Uh, so the Euros are going on right on right now. Uh, Euro 2020, even though it's in 2021. For those of you who don't know, it's a soccer competition that happens in Europe between a bunch of the major nations over there. And uh, so France were playing Germany. And right before the game, all of a sudden, a guy comes in on a parachute, a protester, it turns out. And first of all, I don't know where this guy came from. I don't know if he jumped out of a plane or like there was a really tall building around. I have no idea, but he ends up flying in and ends up hitting a bunch of wires towards the the top of the stadium where there was a, like a camera set up or something. And uh, a bunch of debris ended up falling on the field and the main like stands where, where fans were. And a few people actually had to go to the hospital for this. And Debris almost hit France's coach as well. So the guy ended up like being able to land on the field. And obviously was then tackled by security and all that. But I don't I just can't remember if I've ever even heard of something like this happening before. Like, sure, we've got like people like streaking or running across the field or whatever. But a guy parachuting in, that's a new one. On the last episode, we mentioned the one fan that ran onto the court at the Wizards game, but that's pretty standard, right? As far as like fans disrupting the game or making their presence felt a little extra. But yeah, this is a new one. I, I also have not heard about this. I think that maybe he's just been watching too many Warzone clips and he's like, oh, I want to try parachuting. 
and he just was like, why not let it fly? And and he flew. Saint Verdansk, baby. But yeah, anyway, so of course UEFA came out and said, you know, this is we forbid any of these types of things, we don't do this, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, pretty interesting happenings over there in Europe. Maybe we'll see I mean, hopefully we won't, but like maybe we'll see something like this happen in America. But I guess there just aren't as many indoor stadiums in Europe as there are outdoor stadiums, so I guess that makes more sense. But either way, pretty interesting. Uh, scenes um, coming from the Euro 2020 over there. It makes me think of like that whole, you know, wherever you see a sign or a warning label or whatever, often it's come from someone doing that stupid thing. And you, you know, you go, why do they even have to put this on this cup? Or why do they have to say like this cup of coffee is hot? Well, it's because someone, you know, didn't realize it was going to be hot. Well, now they're going to have to start putting this sign on stadium saying, please don't parachute in, which, okay, you'd think it's common sense, but evidently not, because now someone has, has set a precedent for parachuting into these stadiums. There's about to be a, just a picture of a guy with a parachute on <laughs> with just the big old X over it. Like, <laughs> do not parachute. Um yeah, I think the the funniest one that I can remember at a sports or at a at an arena or a or a stadium or anything like that. I went to a minor league baseball game, and they had a sign over the toilet that said "No Bay Bear," and I was like, "Um, is was this implemented for a particular reason, or was this like just precautionary?" You know, for our our listeners that don't speak Spanish. No bay bear means do not drink. I mean, let's clarify and say we also do not really speak Spanish. I speak enough to know that, but I also have the common sense to know not to drink out of the toilet. Like, is someone bringing their dog to the bathroom and that's been like this like pervasive issue that too much toilet water is being drunk? And does the dog also happen to read Spanish? Like, (laughs) I don't know. This isn't a dog. It's a perro. Okay. Oh, my bad. Anyways, before we just continue rambling on and just completely go down this huge rabbit hole, um, yeah, I guess that parachuter guy's on the hot seat for this week. And uh, that pretty much wraps up the show. So we appreciate everybody tuning in for this week. And as always, uh, we want to hear from you on social media. Um, let us know your thoughts on where Aaron Rodgers might go or what's going to happen with that whole situation. And also, if you feel like there were any snubs on the All-NBA teams or any of the award winners, let us know on social media. Do you agree that Blake Griffin was disrespectful to Detroit or that Bleacher Report had no business putting Devin Booker on this, like in this elite company of Phoenix Suns players? Or do you think that it's all good in the hood? Also, we will post a link to this story of our hot seat recipient of the of the night so you can check that out yourself we'll be posting that on facebook twitter and instagram you can follow us on all three at mike and dave pod and make sure if you haven't already to hit subscribe or follow or whatever the button has on it um, wherever you're listening to our podcast we appreciate it and give us five stars if you've enjoyed it and yeah i think that's about it for this this episode so again we thank you for for tuning in and uh as always 
I've been Dave. And I'm Mike, and this is the Mike and Dave Podcast. 